This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Healthcare Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Michael Ast, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at HSS in New York City. Dr. Ast, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, before we jump into the questions, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I'm a hip and knee replacement surgeon at HSS in New York City. Uh, I trained here back in uh, 2012. And then actually when I left uh, fellowship, I went into private practice uh, in the Princeton, New Jersey, Bucks County, Pennsylvania area for a while uh, and started uh, doing work at an ambulatory surgery center. Our practice owned uh, a couple of surgery centers and we started doing hip and knee replacements in those surgery centers. And we built a reputation for, being, for doing higher acuity cases in ambulatory surgery centers. And that kind of led me back to HSS in 2018 as sort of the shift was happening in the beginning, um, where now I help to guide uh, a lot of the work done at HSS in terms of the transition of higher acuity cases to appropriate sites of service. Got it. Well, I'm really excited about this conversation today. I think your background will really lend itself to some great expertise. My first question is, what are your top three priorities for 2021? You know, I think right away, the number one priority that most people have in the world for get healthcare is just get back to normal. Whatever normal is going to look like, I think, you know, recovering from obviously this pandemic, moving beyond it with the opportunity for vaccinations and things, I think just kind of getting back to normal. And then in the, in the healthcare space, getting patients back to feeling normal, getting, you know, clinics up and running the way that we always have patients in waiting rooms, you know, not so much limitations on, on what we're doing. And then the operating room back at volume that, that we like to see and is consistent um, and then catching up on that volume, because I think there's still a lot of pent up demand uh, throughout the country. So that's, that's obviously uh, priority number one. Priority number two, I think is really trying to apply the lessons we've learned over the last year. Obviously this pandemic has been uh, devastating to so many people across the country, but like everything else, you've got to try to find those silver linings, those little points that you learned that are important to take forward. And I think the use of technology in what we're doing, I think the use of telehealth with, within certain parts of the episode of care are here to stay. You know, when we looked at our data on telehealth usage for surgeons meeting patients, the moment patients could come back to the office, they did. But when we talk about their preoperative visits, their post-operative visits, their physical therapy. These are things patients really like taking advantage of, and these are going to stick with us in the future. So figuring out the right places within the episode of care to apply that technology, I think, is, is really priority number two for this year, not just for myself, but I think for most people uh, in the healthcare space. And then personally, for me, the, la the last priority for, for 2021 is to really follow up and finish up on some of the research we've been putting together specifically in, in this space you know, we've had a couple of things over the last five years or so trying to refine the ambulatory surgery criteria for higher acuity cases like, like joint replacement and spine. Things like patient selection, but beyond the medical, you know, we have a lot of work in our institution about the social determinants of health and the social risk factors for patients not doing well when they kind of go home right after surgery. And I think we really, I'm really excited to kind of finish that up and get that out there. We started doing some machine learning within the clinical care pathway. So not just before surgery and after surgery to make the decision, but really how can we uh, apply the, the patient experience while they're in our centers to understand how safe it is for them to be discharged and maybe what type of 
needs they're going to have uh, after surgery. And then our last, of course, is to continue our cost analysis work. We've done a lot of work with some of our uh, friend institutions across the country, looking at the costs associated with inpatient care versus outpatient care versus ambulatory care, and, and finishing all that research up and getting that stuff out there. Uh, we had a nice opportunity uh, while things were a little slower to really move it forward. So I just want to finish that stuff up and get it out there to try to help everyone else who's making the same transition. That sounds fantastic. And I really think will be a great resource for people as they look to make that transition, as you said, from inpatient to outpatient surgery and understand what's appropriate and what makes the most sense. Now, I have a quick follow-up question on your number one point in terms of getting back to normal. Do you have you know, any foresight in, in a time frame potentially where it might make sense where patients might feel a little bit back to normal or where you feel like perhaps the volume uh, backlog will be um, all caught up? Is it within 2021? Or do you see that really heading into the next year or two? You know, uh, if you asked me this three months ago, I would have said it would have been kind of the spring, summer 2021. But of course, as vaccine rollout is limited by production, um, I think everyone's really trying to do a good job to get it going. But I do think there's going to be a certain level of hesitance until we've got good vaccination, especially in the joint replacement space where the majority of our patients are a little older. We're definitely still seeing patients kind of holding off on surgery, saying, I just want to make sure I get my vaccine and they're making their appointments, but the appointment maybe gets pushed back. So I think we're going to start that, that real return and that catch up toward the summertime, maybe the late summer, early fall, which means some of it may trickle into 2022. And if you could say, when are we on the other side of that hill? I think it's going to be Q1 2022 when we kind of get through the delay, get through all the backlog and are back to a, a level of a volume expectation that we think is, is about normal. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, how do you see orthopedics and the ASC industry changing in the next three years? I think, uh, I think again, not to harp on, on doing things in threes, but I think there's sort of three things we're looking at over the next couple of years. The first is I think we're going to see more and more alignment between independent centers and someone else whether that's healthcare systems, whether that's these uh, ambulatory surgery center management companies, I think you're going to see a lot more alignment because of the need to capitalize in order to be able to, to add higher acuity service lines. When you have a small independent center and you're trying to start doing spine surgery or, or joint replacements, it costs a lot of money. I mean, legitimately, it's just logistics and capital that are required. And a lot of times that sort of pushes beyond what most ambulatory surgery centers are working with. So I think the alignment we've seen happening in the last couple of years is, is if anything, going to accelerate. That being said, the other thing we're going to see is that there's going to be more money coming into orthopedics in general. We've watched private equity start to make moves into orthopedics. I don't think that's going to slow down. And I think they're not only going to invest in the practice side, but they're going to go into surgery centers, again, as another opportunity to help uh, practices open new centers, expand existing centers, and expand the potential service lines at existing centers. And then the last kind of interesting thing I think we're going to see moving the next couple of years is off-site sterilization. I know this seems like a much more practical answer than some of the, the other ones, but you know we just saw really the first big move towards that at, at University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, where they created an entire offsite sterilization facility. But sterilization is one of the biggest limiting factors for most ambulatory surgery centers when they try to start doing things like joint replacements. It, it need, you need a lot more trays, you need a lot more stuff. And most of these centers don't have 
the logistical capacity for sterilization there. Sterilizers are too small. They don't have enough washers, whatever it is. And the options become you need to build a new center or build a bigger center, or you start to go into something like offsite sterilization, which I know there's been talk about in the past. Even some of the industry partners within orthopedics have talked about it, mentioned it. Um, but I think over the next three to five years is really when you're going to see it applied. And I, I think that's actually really exciting. I think that will uh, sort of get rid of one of the big impedances to growing programs. Um, and so I think that's, a, that, that's something we're going to see. Got it. I think that really makes a lot of sense. And I, I like the way you put all those three trends. Number one, from moving to more alignment between independent centers and either hospitals or larger ASC chains. Number two, more money coming into orthopedics and private equity um, for both practices as well as ASCs. Then number three, more offsite sterilization. I think that's really interesting to think about and will present a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things to watch, I suppose, over the next few years. Now, my last question is, what are you most excited about today and what makes you most nervous? So I think what I'm most excited about today, you know, I'm lucky enough, I'm certainly not one of the earliest innovators within, within ambulatory joint replacement, but I was one of the very early adopters. We've been doing it uh, now for, for almost 10 years. Um, and, and what I'm most excited about is it looks like we've, we've sort of jumped that chasm. If you, if you know about the technology adoption curve, uh, we, we've really moved beyond the, the really innovators and the early adopters, and we're starting to get up that early adoption curve and into almost the early majority section. And I think that's just really exciting because we're watching something with such a huge potential to help so many people um, and really kind of achieve that quadruple aim that we look for, right? Better for the patient, better for the uh, provider, better for the payer, and better for the system. And, and ambulatory joint replacement, high acuity spine being done in an appropriate site of service. These are really opportunities to hit that quadruple aim and moving from that early innovator, that early adopter innovator phase to that early majority phase just is gonna open that opportunity to so many more people. And it's, it's not just the surgeons anymore. You know, I think the pandemic has pushed a lot of patients and families to really want this as well. You know, limiting exposure to hospitals, limiting exposure to sort of the general public, especially general hospitals, um, I, I think has become a priority of patients and their families as well, and families who are at home with more time, with more flexible telecommuting options, are now there to help their families get through this and are excited for the opportunity of, of very short phase or outpatient surgery when it comes to these higher acuity surgeries. So I think that's probably what I'm most excited about watching the technology adoption curve move forward uh, with, with the support of patients and their caregivers. On the other side of that coin is what I'm most nervous about. And like I said, the quadruple aim is probably the greatest thing about this, this movement is that it really has the potential to be better for everybody with the patient being right at the top. But anytime you see that, you also have the potential for misalignment of incentives. And I'm always concerned that if the patient isn't the absolute focus of that, then some of the other aims start to take, uh, to take precedent above the patient, and that's when people can get into trouble. So when we start putting profits above patients or we start kind of misaligning our incentives, that may not be better for patients, in which case all of this is the wrong thing to do. We really need to keep in mind 
patients come first, understand the nuances of patient selection. We need to make sure that we aren't just doing this because we can save some money or because it's cheaper or because somebody's going to make, a, a, make a, an extra buck here or there. We really have to remember this has to be done correctly so that the patient remains the ultimate focus of everything we're doing. And if we do that, then everyone really will win. Got it. Dr. S, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion. This has really been great to hear from you, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you so much for the opportunity. As always, I appreciate the time.